Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to New York Times best-selling author, five-time Bram Stoker Award winner, comic book writer, and incredibly inspirational bloke, Jonathan Mayberry, about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor, Comic Scene. An award-winning magazine, Comic Scene is available digitally and in print in the UK, Ireland, Australia, Canada, and the good old USA. Subscriptions from £2.50 are available at getmycomics.com forward slash comic scene. Also, be sure to check out their website, comicscene.org, for comic news and other fun sequential art stuff. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Jonathan Maybury. How's it going? It's going well in isolation. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad considering that we're, we're actually in a pandemic right now. Um, it's it's been quite an experience, isn't it? It is it is surreal. It's like living in one of my my novels or one of my comics. So uh, yeah. that's certainly a good thing. If I wrote fluffy bunny stories, that would be better to live in. But uh, <laughs> we go, you know. not quite as exciting though, is it? Um, but uh, so uh, just as I was saying just before um, we we started recording, thank you so much um, for for giving me this amount of time to to chat with you today it's it's a real honor to have you on oh and it's my pleasure to be here so uh we're, we're gonna have some fun oh absolutely um and for anybody that doesn't know and there are very few that that wouldn't know who you are what do you do in the world of comics ah uh, well i i write i'm a freelancer I, I don't write you know for one comic company I, I did a number of years freelancing for marvel i did uh, some stuff with dark horse uh, I, I write for idw um, and i'm just about to start a project for a big project for dc comics so I, I write a little bit of everything i'm you know i had i started off in superhero comics like most people do but mm-hmm. i've since switched to um, mostly horror and science fiction comics though um, the one i'm doing for for DC will be both superheroes and horror. Awesome. Um, and is there, is there kind of an ETA on that, or is that completely out the window with uh, uh, with COVID? What for the for the for the DC thing? I mean, literally, yeah. we signed the contract, so right, um, so early days. Hopefully, by the time I finish the comic and it's it's drawn and and out, it's going to be a graphic novel, original graphic novel. By then, hopefully, the uh, the, the pandemic will have passed and the seven remaining people on earth will enjoy the comic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Um, and uh, where can people find you online? I'm, I'm pretty much everywhere online as long as you spell my name right. Uh, it's Mayberry, M-A-D-E-R-R-Y. People want to put the Y in the middle. But if you look up Jonathan Mayberry, uh, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Snapchat. Um, you name it, I'm there. Uh, more over, and, and I have a website that's jonathanmayberry.com, which has well. uh, links and a lot of fun stuff on it too. Fantastic. And as always, those links are in the show notes. So listeners, you can go click through right now and, and see uh, see what Jonathan's up to on, on Twitter, Instagram and all that jazz. Um, so um, that being said, unfortunately, I do have some bad news for you, Jonathan. Yes. And that is, is that aliens have invaded now we don't know if it's connected to the pandemic in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but on top of the current pandemic, we also have an alien invasion. On top of that, so so my question for you is: What is your action plan for survival? You know, I, I've actually given this uh, a bizarre amount of thought since I was a kid. Um, Great. <laughs> and uh, you know, my, my my action plan for aliens a lot of it will depend on what kind of aliens they are. I mean, if it's if it's the Independence Day sort of giant ships coming down and blowing the hell out of the cities, well, I live near the desert, so I'm going out there, and there's nothing for them to wind up blowing up out there. So I, I'd hotel <laughs> out of town with a uh, wife, son, and a, and a SUV full of supplies. If it's, uh, you know, evasion the body snatchers sort of alien evasion, I got that covered too because, you know, I, I don't trust a lot of people anyway. So if they started acting hinky, you know, I'm more likely to think, okay, these are aliens. They they need to to be uh, taken care of. So I'm I'm pretty proactive when it when it comes to that sort of thing. And um, you know, I I even wrote 
when I was a kid, I, I kept a dream diary. Uh, um, I, I have this weird thing about my dreams. My dreams are sequential. Each night they pick up where they left off. Wow. Thing with me. It's like chapter dreams, you know? And I, yeah. I, I, had a, uh, I kept a dream diary, and I found it a few years ago, and it was about, you know, there was a whole section about an alien invasion, and my, my friends and I surviving that alien invasion. And uh, I wound up liking the story so much that I wound up turning into a couple of uh, young adult novels. Oh, wow. Yeah, the night side. So uh, I'm, I'm, I feel I'm, I'm moderately well prepared, as long as it doesn't involve a lot of running. Because I think my running days are pretty much behind me. I'm <laughs> in my 60s now. I'm not as, not as slim as I used to be. So if we have either fast zombies or, or, or aliens that make us run, I think I might be, uh, I think I might be toast. But as, uh, as long as you've got a, uh, a pickup, then you'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. If I, if I have wheels, I'm, I'm good to go. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm really handy with, uh, with uh, most weapons, too. I'm uh, you know, 56 years in jiu-jitsu, so I'm pretty good with swords yeah. and sticks and knives and so on. So I was going to say, because like reading, reading your Wikipedia, something I didn't know about you was that you were in, you were in the Martial Arts Hall of Fame. Yeah. Incredible. It's one of those good things that people don't believe until they read it somewhere. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, apparently they had an extra uh, trophy laying around, so they decided to, to give me one. But ah, uh... oh, no, no, that, that's true. But um, I mean, that that's an incredible achievement, and you know, they're not going to give it out to anybody just because. So, have you have you always been into martial arts because of that? Since I was about six. Wow. Uh, so my entire life. Plus, I, you know, I was a bodyguard for years in the entertainment industry. I was a bouncer. I taught wow. martial history at Temple University in Philadelphia. Um, so I, you know, I have a a long history with uh, uh, with martial arts and and so on. So yeah, it's always been a part of my life. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just a, my daughter's three years old tomorrow, um, and uh, we're we're going to be getting her into into probably the the youngest uh, martial art that we can get her into at the moment is taekwondo believe yeah. it or not um at three years old but uh yeah sooner the better i was thinking <laughs> uh, uh, and happy birthday to her and also taekwondo is, is pretty good for kids it really is it's, it's a yeah. moderately simplified martial art and it's yeah. great for teaching discipline balance coordination there's a lot to it and self-confidence so uh, it's a good choice yeah exactly um do, do you have a favorite yourself kind of in terms of martial arts, because I, I used to do Jeet Kune Do, I did some just Western kickboxing and some jiu-jitsu and things like that, but do you have a favorite yourself? Well, yeah, I, I've i been studying, I studied a bunch of different martial arts over the years, Hapkido, um, White Crane Kung Fu, but the art that I have dedicated you know, a large portion of my life to is is a very old samurai style of jiu-jitsu um, called Shinawara Ryu. And it's uh, a lot of the old jujitsu systems are not like the export systems where, you know, it's a lot of wrist locks mm -hmm. and throws and and um, moderately being polite to one another. The older samurai mm -hmm. systems, that's what the samurai developed for when they were on a battlefield and for, for whatever reason lost their sword and are facing other armored samurais who still have their sword. So it had to be pretty brutal. And um, so I, I went up studying that uh, and Spent a lot of years in it, and it served me well as uh, as a bodyguard, bouncer, and so on. Kept me alive because I've been in some pretty pretty rough situations. I've been chopped with a meat cleaver, stabbed multiple times. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it has not been a uh, boring life. It hasn't been always the most pleasant, but uh, so um, you know, a martial art that that actually really will keep you alive is is you know what I went for. So uh, yeah, big fan of. Uh, traditional jiu-jitsu the old styles fair play that is awesome and i'm sure that that's going to serve you well in the apocalypse um yeah advantage a hundred percent um and uh speaking of which um we, we we're going to say that it's kind of going to be an independence day style um alien invasion and as you rightly said probably your best course of action is to head out into the desert um, and uh, on your first night with your family around the campfire, um, you get talking about comics and things, and you you try to get into an, an in-depth uh, conversation. 
Um, and your family's uh, first question is, uh, what is the first comic you remember enjoying? Well, I, when I was a kid, I, my older brother, who was just about to head off to Vietnam, gave me a whole stack of old EC comics, Vault of Horror, Tales from the Crypt, that sort of thing. And I would sit up at night and read these lurid, horrifying stories, uh, beautifully illustrated in the most over-the-top sort of way, not for kids. I mean, I was, I was uh, eight, I think. So really, not, I was not the demographic for it, but I fell in love with them. And I, I love the, uh, the twists that, that were so common in these stories. I mean, um, looking back on them now, some of them are, are, are pretty, uh, uh, pretty silly, but at the time, there was, you know, there was nothing like it, and man, it, it scared the hell out of me as a kid, which made me enjoy them even more. That's awesome. And, and how old were you? Do you think when you were reading these? I'm pretty sure he gave them to me when I was about eight, I think. Right. And uh, there was a big stack. There was also some some uh, superhero comics as thrown in there, some some early Marvel comics. Um, was I even eight years old? This was. 1966. No, I was, I was, um, yeah, I was eight, 1966. So, uh, there, there was a lot of stuff in there to, to entertain my young mind. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so kind of from that, obviously that, that spawned your love of comics. Um, but, but where, where did the inspiration to become a creator yourself come in? Uh, with the Fantastic Four. Um, I, I, there were some issues of, of old comics uh, in there, and there was a fantastic, some Fantastic Four issues, early stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they were beat up. You know, Back in Philadelphia, uh, when a comic finished its normal monthly run and they would sell off the remainder copies, for some reason they cut off half the cover and sold the remainder copy for you know, a couple of pennies. Mm-hmm. And, um, so they were beat up. But man, the stories were fantastic. I mean, literally fantastic. And mm-hmm. the way... Stan Lee and Jack Kirby told those stories, made it real because the Fantastic Four was a family, not just a, you know, an unbreakable superhero. They had flaws. They fought just like families do. Um, and, and also there, there was a, a genuineness to them, you know, and that made me want to tell that kind of story. It made me want to be part of, of a world where I could, I could tell stories about real people in fantastic situations. That's brilliant. Um, and and do you remember when the first time that you thought, yeah, I'm I'm going to head into comics? Do you well, remember when that happened? Uh, I mean, I, it was always in my head. But right. after I had become a novelist uh, in the in the yeah. mid two thousands, uh, my agent and I were were strategizing on how I could pitch to Marvel because you know I I was mostly a Marvel comics guy. Right. And um, you know we had come up with a couple of pitch ideas, and we were just about to do that. When out of the blue, I got a phone call from Axel Alonso, the editor-in-chief of Marvel. He'd read one of my novels, my novel Patient Zero, um, and said, hey, you know, I really like the way you handle action and dialogue. Uh, Any chance you'd want to possibly write a comic for me? Which stands as the silliest question I have ever been asked. (laughs) Um, And uh, as it turns out, yes, I I might want to write a comic for you. So he gave me... um, you know, he asked me to write him an eight-page Wolverine short just as a kind of a test drive, and um, I did, and he signed a great artist for me, uh, Tom Coker. His, his artist is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And that, that story, Ghosts, became um, the backup feature in uh, uh, the anniversary issue for Wolverine that year. And I was off and running, but uh, I'd always wanted to do it, but didn't know how to break in because I'd heard it was notoriously difficult for writers to break in. Yeah. And then once those doors opened, then, you know, it, it came on thick and fast by, by the uh, looks of your bibliography. <laughs> uh, I only had one, uh, like a two-year break not writing comics, only because uh, there were years where I was writing three or four novels each year. So I didn't have time for comics. I mean, comics, I love writing comics, but they don't pay as well as my novels do. My novels are, are mm-hmm. bestsellers, so they, they pay really well. But then I, I just couldn't stand not writing comics. So I, I told my agent to adjust my schedule so I could uh, continue to write comics. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I've been doing it ever since. Fantastic. And one question I really wanted to ask you before we move on to our, our next comic was, uh, where, where did the inspiration for Hail Hydra come from? Uh, and Well, 
for anyone listening, by the way, my Hail Hydra run was not the Hail Hydra where it turns out Captain America is secretly a member of Hydra. Right. I. I ignore that entire run. I do not believe in the con- it's in its continuity. I thought it was stupid. Yeah, um, which is rare for me to say anything negative about a comic. I thought that one was a profoundly bad move because of of the nature of who Captain America is. But uh, I, because I had read comics, you know, so extensively, and I had read all the different eras of Captain America. Um, one of the very first comics I found in the remainder rack was was Avengers. Was it six where they brought Captain America back? It was one of the mm. early. And um, I thought, oh, my God, that's fantastic. And I read the reprints of the 40s stuff. So I wanted to tell a story that, that just told you know, the story of Captain America from different points of his life where he has changed and evolved. But also I wanted to give Hydra a, a backstory that it didn't have. It's funny. They, they have since in the movies given it more of a backstory. But um, I wanted to create a, a, a more – creepy backstory for it so i I had a i created a character who um has been you know essentially with hydra forever and um it was it was just a lot of fun to do and and marvel gave me a different artist for each issue which was a whole bunch of fun oh fantastic um i didn't i didn't realize it was different uh different artists but um yeah what, what was that like kind of chopping and changing it, it was fun because, you know, like one issue was the, the Jack Kirby era. So they gave me one artist who was good at that. Another era was um, the no, uh, the captain era where he, he wasn't Captain America, he was just the captain. So they, they, they picked artists who whose style fit the art that was used in those different eras of Captain America. And um, because by getting to know the, the artist and looking at that artist's history a bit, I was able to kind of write to that art style, which, you know, changed the narration a little bit, uh, mostly the art direction a bit, and uh, had a, a, you know, a lot of fun with that. Plus, they gave me Adi Granov to do the covers. His covers are amazing. And it's funny, but there, there's, a, uh, um, there's a little funny story involving Stan Lee. So I'm, I was at Comic Palooza in, in I think it was Dallas, Texas, um, sometime after the first issue or the issues were out. And Stan Lee and his bodyguards show up at my signing table, which is a moderately creepy thing to happen. <laughs> and uh, he has about 50 copies of the first issue of my, my Hail Hydra run. And, you know, w- which by itself is a moderately, you know, freak out inducing moment. Sure, and, sure. Um, you know, he said that he, he loved the cover. He loved the run. He loved my run of the, of the comic. And he wanted to do a, a charity auction thing. So he wanted to know if I would sign the covers of those 50 issues, 50, 50 copies. And I'm like, um, yes. Uh, so, sure? <laughs> but the funny thing is the issue is a picture of Captain America kind of striding forward. So you're looking up at him, very impressive. But right about center screen in that, in that image is Captain America's waist. So Stan called it the crotch of liberty cover. <laughs> which Brilliant. now and forever will be what I call that. and um, yeah, he had me sign uh, sign the copies of it and, and um, we went out and eventually had lunch together and, and after that we became friendly and it was really nice to, to become friends with the most important comic person in, in certainly probably in history yeah. um, and he's such a nice guy very down he was very down to earth very funny told the best stories about you know, the comics industry and life in general. Um, so that was, that was an incredible honor. So not only did I get to write a Captain America story, which, you know, is a big thing, you know, for me, I got to, I got to become friends with, with Stan Lee as a result of it. And that is deeply surreal. Yeah. My gosh. What a, what a childhood dream that is. Yeah. I mean, I this was, this was when I was about, um, I guess, 54, 556 so i was i was 12 years old again that fast yeah totally no doubt um what an incredible story and what an incredible moment to be able to have yeah um, it was, it was un- unlooked for and treasured no doubt um and yeah treasured forever yeah. um incredible incredible um now um moving back to the uh, back to the campfire um the the next question that comes up with your family is, is what's the funniest or comic that made you laugh out loud the most? 
Oh, there, there are two that absolutely got me, and, and I reread them often. Uh, I think probably the one that edges out all the others is Chew by Jeff Lyman. I think that right. is just so funny. A, a guy who, uh, if, he, if he eats something, he, he, he learns the history of it, especially if it's a murder victim, eats a little bit of it, and um, is able to then get insight into the killers. And that alone, I mean, it's a similar concept to iZombie, where she eats brains and she relives the murder. But Jeff went so much further with it, and it, there are so many wild set pieces throughout the entire run of that, of that comic. And I have all the graphic novels. I absolutely love, love Chew. The other one is The Goon by Eric Powell, which is very dark comedy. You know, the character is basically a thug. And he has a, a, a friend who's, who's very happy stabbing people in the eye every, every once in a while. And it's over-the-top humor. It, it kind of, you know, it, when I was talking to Eric Powell about this, he said it, he kind of got the idea from an old Emerson, Lake, and Palmer story a song rather called Benny the Bouncer. Um, and I had to go, I, I spent such a long time to so listen to Emerson Lake and Palmer. I had to go listen to it. He said he, that song had been playing and, and he caught with the goon. He's not sure if it's a direct connection, but it's mm-hmm. close enough. That song also has a lot of that over the top. Um, well, his was over the top Cockney humor about a fight in a bar. And uh, that inspired the goon, which is, I think set in um, the depression era, uh, New York, it's, it's, it's a great comic, and there's a lot of great sight gags in it. That's fantastic. And there's, there's nothing like a, like a funny comic with a, with a kind of a, a, a ridiculous premise to, yeah. to get you going. Yep. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, now, the next question uh, that comes up is, uh, what is the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read? Uh, well, that's, that's always going to be the same answer. Um, way back in 1982, Jim Starlin wrote and... and uh, drew the death of Captain Marvel it was one of the very first graphic novels ever published, and it was in fact the death of that character. Back then, Captain Marvel was a guy, um, mm-hmm. and uh, he died of cancer. You know, it's like you expect heroes to die in battle or an explosion or something. He died of cancer, and it made superheroes so completely real to me mm-hmm. because real people die of cancer. Real people don't die in superhero battles with Dr. Doom. And it was tragic and beautiful. And they, you know, Marvel resisted the temptation to bring him back. I know they, they did it in an alternate dimension way during, I think it was Civil War. But uh, I, I disregard that particular subplot. He's dead. And he stayed dead. And I think that was a bold move. And I'm glad Marvel didn't retcon it or, or uh, go back and find a way to bring him back to life you know, on any ongoing way. And it, it, it actually made me, you know, put tears in my eyes when I read it. I was sitting, um, it was 1982. I was, I was actually working as a bodyguard at that time. I was sitting at home with, with my arm in a cast from uh, something that happened on the job. And I was re, you know, got that, that from a friend who had delivered my comics and because uh, I was unable to get out. And I sat there and I, I read it. And I, I was crying a little bit. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I mean, it's it, that as you said, it's because it's such a it's a true to life death, yeah. isn't it? It makes it even more real. And they honored it by by leaving it there by by not going in and changing it because they would have completely weakened the dramatic intensity of that by saying, "Okay, he's alive again," you know, mm. which they do so often. You know, every time a character, Nightcrawler or Wolverine or someone dies, you know, it's nothing real. Superman when he died. It was dramatic, but none of us believe that was the end of Superman. Come on. Yeah. Um, but with Captain Marvel, you know, he was dead. And, um, wow. Really sad. And, I mean, um, to, make a, to make a bodyguard cry, that, that, <laughs> that, that, that takes something, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, I, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm a big guy. You know, I'm 6'4". I'm about the size of Bigfoot. But, you know, I still have, I still have a heart. <laughs> And um, that one, that one really touched my heart. That's fantastic. Uh, now, uh, switching gears, um, the next question that comes up is: What's the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read? Uh, yeah, see that this this is one I wish I could actually remember which magazine it was in and who wrote the story, and I've got to go look for it. But yeah. there was a, in one of the old Warren magazines. It was either Creepy or Eerie. I'm not sure which. I'm pretty sure it was not Vampirelles. Was it Creepy or Eerie? 
there was a story about a, a guy who was a big game hunter who went and killed, went and hunted this albino gorilla, and you know went up killing him, taking it, taking its head and putting it on his wall at home. But then the headless corpse somehow managed to follow him back home and killed him. And uh, I think at the end, maybe even put his head on the wall as a trophy. But it was there was something about the way it was it was drawn. Um, it was even more than the, the actual story because you know I mean if you look at it from any distance that's an absurd story because how the hell is a headless gorilla getting from Africa to here? Sure. But it was so creepy a concept at the time. Yeah. And I'll, see the thing with a lot of EC comics and Warren comics, um, there are things now that that uh, if we see a plot, you know, where, where something like that happens. We think, oh, it's cliche. Well, this was the first time I, that that had been done. It was probably the the seventies at some point, and a lot of the EC comics was the first time some of those stories had been done. They've been endlessly copied, but the very first time you encounter it was scary. Just like Night of the Living Dead, by the way, the movie. When that came out, it was the scariest movie on the planet. Now it almost seems quaint because mm-hmm. there have been so many zombie movies since, but it was the very first, and that headless gorilla story was the very first one of that kind, and it scared the crap out of me as a kid no you don't i mean you know reading reading that you're going to be thinking that oh my gosh you know like some sort of uh headless corpse of a bug is going to come get yeah. you or something <laughs> i mean terrifying yeah. um, I, I can imagine you had a couple of sleepless nights with that one yeah it was it was that, that stayed with me for quite a while Incredible. Uh, now, uh, come on to uh, one of my favorite questions, and that is, what is your favorite cover? Yeah, see, this is tough because there, there are so many covers I love. And yeah. I, I used to, you know, and, and uh, IDW did a, uh, a couple of, of their big art, artisan editions of covers that collected some of the greatest covers in history. But there's one that hit me on an emotional level. Um, and that was, uh, it was Batman 404. It was the year one, part one. Mm-hmm. And it was young Bruce Wayne kneeling on the ground by the, the corpses of his parents. And it was shot, you know, it was, it was as if it was seen from above. There is mm-hmm. something so defeated in that little boy's posture mm-hmm. that made it uh, in a powerfully emotional moment because we know he becomes Batman and we know how emotionally and psychologically fractured Batman is. I mean, in, in pure psychological terms, at best case scenario, he's a bag of hamsters when it comes to his mental state. So, <laughs> but we go back to that little boy and that little boy's world was destroyed and he watched it and he was helpless. And we feel it in that picture. The fact that we're above him looking down, which may, diminishes him in size even more is even more powerful because uh, it, it re- emphasizes the utter helplessness he felt in that moment. Nothing, I don't think any other cover has ever informed the uh, development, the origin of a character more powerfully, for me at least, than that one did. No doubt. I mean, it's a incredibly powerful um, scene uh, where, as you say, you've got Bruce Wayne kind of kneeling and it's, it's a great use of shadow around yeah. his around his uh middle because it kind of goes around his belly and onto his arms and i mean the shadow almost i don't know if it's intentional almost looks like it's bat wings kind of riding up his arms almost I, slightly i, I kind of think that was that was intentional but it was so Surely. nice subtle and it could have been ham-fisted it could have been overdone but it wasn't it was also you know it was frank miller's i think most subtle cover too yeah Definitely. And then you've got, of course, um, you've got, um, sorry, name name escapes me. What's Bruce Wayne's dad's name? Oh, my God. Uh, what was his name? Oh, Adam. my God. <laughs> how, how, is it, how am I blanking on that? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, that's, hor- that's horrendous, isn't it? Thomas Wayne. Thomas Wayne. It's Thomas Wayne. Oh, my I'm gosh. The alphabet in my head trying to come up with, with names. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Anyway, so you got Thomas Wayne uh, trying to reach out for for, for Martha, basically, um, like you with his left hand as well, and that looks yeah. in, that's incredibly sad. And then um, you've got his mother's hand um, touching touching Bruce. Well, Bruce is touching his mother's hand as well, and it's just just really sad. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 
a perfect picture of the loss of innocence when innocence is torn away rather than when you say grow out of it. It, it was torn from it. And that, that makes it all the, all the more tragic. hundred percent. Incredible. And uh, great, great choice uh, for that one. Definitely. Um, one, one for the hall of fame of covers. Yeah. <laughs> um, now uh, moving on to uh, on our next most interesting question. And that is what is the most meaningful comic to you? Most meaningful comic. Hmm. That, that's a. Uh, I, I'm. There, it's not a comic. It's a scene. Great. Uh, in. And again, we're going way back. Spider-Man, The Amazing Spider-Man number thirty-three. Uh, up till now, up to that point, Steve Ditko had been drawing Spider-Man where he was a, te- a teenager in a costume, and he didn't look like as powerful a superhero as as he would become. And there's a scene where he's fighting Doctor Octopus, and uh, or had been fighting, and there was a, an explosion, and he's trapped under wreckage, and water's filling up, and he's probably going to die because the, the wreckage is way too heavy for him to lift. It's beyond his abilities, and he's going to die, and he feels like a, like a failure. He's failed everyone. He feels he's you know failed his uncle Ben who died. He, he feels he's failing Aunt May because you know um, he's there, and, and bad things are ha- always happening to her. She's you know she's on the verge of death every 15 minutes in that comic. He's failed everything, including his own image of himself. And it, it, it's it's that watershed moment where he could literally have, you know, if they, in real life, a person like that can sometimes just allow themselves to sink down. Um, there's an old expression that, that if you hit rock bottom, you either bounce or splat. And he was pretty close to going splat because he didn't feel that, there's any part of him that had the, the power to save himself and anyone else he cared about from that moment. But then he finally decides he has to try. So he, he, you know, there's a series of panels where he is bracing himself to lift this, lift this impossible amount of weight. And there's this full panel where he's doing it. And it's the first time Steve Ditko drew Spider-Man as, as powerful. I mean, the muscles and, and the, the, the position of his body as he's lifting that weight is absolutely brilliant. It informed the way John Romita w- w- was later to draw Spider-Man because that's mm. such an iconic moment where it's it's less Spider-Boy and more Spider-Man. Yeah. You know? yeah. And he, he took ownership of his own power. Even though he was hurt and everything else, he took ownership of his own power, saved himself, and therefore, you know, set the stage for him being able to save his aunt and saving whoever else he saves. It's a very, very powerful moment. And that issue stands as, as one that, that taught me a lot about myself. And the reason, I came from an extremely troubled home. You know, my father was a, a career criminal. He was, uh, he was abusive of his children. I got a lot of abuse as a child. Well, the reason I started studying martial arts, by the way, in secret um, – and there was a point where I had that moment with him, you know, where I, you know, I was a teenager, young teenager, like 13, just about turning 14. He was, you know, six foot eight. He was a huge guy, very powerful, heavy equipment mechanic, abusive guy, violent man. And I just stood up to him for the first time when I was 14. And I, I there are many times over the years where I wondered if that scene in Spider-Man put me in that moment of, of defiance. And we went having one hell of a fight. We wrecked the entire downstairs of my house. He went up intensive care, and he never laid hands on my sisters or I ever again. So it's the moment where I defeated my my supervillain. And I think that that moment with Spider-Man planted the seed of that. And I'm not joking. I think it planted the seed of that. Um, As much as what I was studying in martial arts, it was the fact that, you know, you can't wait to be rescued. You have to be the hero of your own story. I mean that is so powerful, um, and for for a young man to kind of read that and see, you know, a superhero struggle to yeah. to get out of a situation, um, eventually succeed, but certainly to struggle, um, I think is is incredibly empowering for young young men and young people. Full stop. Um, but uh, it's it's inspirational um to to hear that that kind of story can can have a massive impact on on your own psyche and kind of how you behave in in life and you know 
for for yourself that's that's an incredibly powerful story that you know you you managed to overcome um uh, yeah an abusive father yeah and he was a very very violently abusive man i mean imagine somebody i mean you're you're 13 turning 14 this guy is six Mm. foot eight 330 pounds of muscle gosh so it's like fighting the rhino you know but it's it's that or the cycle of abuse just keeps going on and on and on um and and for me at the time it was either fight or commit suicide there were only the two doors i saw open for me and i i chose the one that that had life at the end of it incredible um and uh yeah never never true word said than uh with great power comes great responsibility um And then you, I guess you took responsibility um, for yourself in the end. I did. And I, I was able to tell that story or some version of that story to Steve Ditko in I don't know, like 2010, maybe six or eight years before he died. I'm not sure when he died. Right. If he was 17, 2018. But I told him that story and, um, you know, he gave me a hug and he had tears in his eyes. And, you know, wow. it, was, it was quite a moment incredible i mean to be able to have that moment with steve Ditko is um wow that's yeah. that that must stick with you it really does i've i've been fortunate i mean i've had some rough stuff in my life but yeah. i've also been fortunate to have some pretty amazing moments in my life too and it's it's odd that so many of them are tied in one way or another to comics yeah i mean it just it just goes to show how powerful they are um yeah. and i i, I think comics as a as a medium of literature is is certainly it's still underrated i think it is. from, uh, from most people it's one of the reasons i like what, what dc is doing right now where they're they're doing original graphic novels for teens and for middle grade they're not going to be sold as individual comics they're graphic novels that um are, are directly marketed to to schools and school libraries and they handle tough issues Right. Several friends of mine have been writing these, uh, Michael Northrup and Melissa De La Cruz and, and Cammy Garcia, and I'll be doing one too. I just can't talk about the details, but um, the fact that they're doing this, that they're recognizing that not only are comics literature, but comics are e- incredibly important teaching tools. Because yeah. I didn't learn any values at home. I learned my values from, from Captain America and T'Challa and Reed Richards, Spider-Man. Yeah. You know, I, I, that's where I learned my values. And I, I sometimes I would learn a lot of my truths from comics. Um, when when um, Stan Lee decided to do that issue of Spider-Man, where uh, the, you know, uh, Harry Osborn was a drug addict, the first time drugs were ever discussed in comics, he mm-hmm. had it using the comic book code. He want, he needed to tell an important truth, and and didn't let anything stop him. And, and that's the sort of thing that shows that that comics have always been on the forefront of often discussing the most. In, the difficult issues of our of our times and i've sent just goes to show how how important they are and how much we need to support them particularly during this time when uh you know we're we're on the ropes really we are but um there are people out there who are doing you know a lot of good uh Mm -hmm. just last week in fact uh, i was part of free comic book day here in the united states and we we did panel discussions and so on online to support, uh, partly to raise money. Uh, we also did some auction, online auctions to raise money to support comic book stores. You know, th- these are, are very important to us. Uh, it isn't just escapist fiction. Even if you read it for escapism, that's fine. But, you know, you can't look at things like Mouse and Watchmen and, and so on and think that it's in any way escapist fiction. Yeah. Um, it's important truths. I mean, look, Fantastic Four uh, was the first time uh, you know, when, when Sue Richards got pregnant, they never had talked about, about that in, in any other comics. And here's a comic book character who's, who's actually pregnant. That was, that was a big thing in 19, what, 68 when they did that? Oh, right. It re- I mean, it is. It's really ahead of the curve, isn't it? It is. That's awesome. Um, it's, just, it's good to kind of think about it like that. And I guess just having these conversations, hopefully, um, helps raise their profile and help people that maybe aren't aware of of the kind of the the important history that comics has um, in regards to tackling issues. Um, perhaps it'll it will help um, grow the community even further. It should, yes, and, and it, it has. So I'm 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 a, yeah. 
a big fan of comics on a lot of different levels. Fantastic. Uh, now, uh, going back to that campfire, um, the, the, the next question that comes up is what's the uh, most underrated comic that you've read? Uh, see, <clears throat> this is one that I, I have been ye- yelling loudly about this comic for a while. Um, Rick Remender and Matteo Scalera um, did a comic called Black Science. I think it's wrapped now. I think there's nine volumes in, tr- in the trades. It is over-the-top, weird, you know, interdimensional, interplanetary um, uh, space opera. And it's, it's wild and crazy. You know, it's the sort of thing where it looks like a couple of scientists took acid and then, then, then did a comic. You know, that, that, that's kind of how it, it seems. Every page is something weird and different. The, the imagining, the, the artwork is so great. And um, the movement, the, the intricacies of it, plus the story is just fun. And, and it, it's, it's what Lost in Space would be if Lost in Space had real guts. Mm. Um, and uh, it's I, I I love this comic. I I don't hear people talking about it, which which really surprises me. Um, you know, every once in a while, somebody will say, "Oh yeah," and if you like science fiction comics, there's this. But I think it needs a little more celebration than just saying, "Oh oh yeah," and and also that. You know, I think it needs a little more than that. Good, really good comic. And Rick is one person in the industry I don't yet know, but I intend to cultivate his his acquaintanceship because I I'm so a fan of of this particular series fantastic and no yeah it was it's one that i hadn't heard of before um but it's right up my street so that kind of you know took me aback that i hadn't heard of it um definitely worth getting 100 percent. um it's it's gonna it's gonna be on my my reading list um from uh from now on 100 percent um now, uh, moving on to our most difficult question, and that is, for you, what is the best comic of all time? I, I am now and will ever, forever be a fan of the classic Fantastic Four um, for a couple different reasons. I mean, one, Stan Lee and, and Jack Kirby, you know, I know there's a lot of debate about who created what, but the two of them together created the most amazing comic. And I fell in love, I mean, I always liked it, but I really fell in love with it kind of around issue 44, I guess. Um, It's when they they started really getting more intricate storytelling and a little more mature, a little, you know, the villains stopped being ranting madmen and became more complex. But they also started introducing, they introduced Silver Surfer and Galactus. I mean, that whole concept, the Silver Surfer was incredible. Um, I mean, Stanley, based on the concept uh, from Judaism of the Wandering Jew, um, and it was really fascinating. Somebody who was questioning his own place is, you know, it's all existential angst. They, they, uh, a few issues later, they, they introduced T'Challa, the Black Panther, which was a, an incredibly influential character on me for this reason. My monster father was also in the, the Ku Klux Klan. So he was wow. an racist. And I was in a neighborhood where a lot of people were invo- involved in that kind of uh, racist uh, ideology. And, um, you know, we had always been taught that black people were stupid, black people were this, black were that. I was really, you know, propagandized view of, of blacks. And we had no people of color in our neighborhood at all. It was all white. And then issue, uh, then Fantastic Four um, had the issue where they introduced the, uh, T'Challa. He was nobody's sidekick. He was the king of his own nation. He was a scientist as smart as Reed Richards. And in one issue, he beat the crap out of the Fantastic Four just to test to see if they were strong enough to help him fight a villain he couldn't beat alone. Yeah. He's like, oh, crap. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was, I took an issue of that comic. I think it was later on. It was issue 119, I think it was, that Roy Thomas did, where T'Challa's in jail in, in um, uh, their version of South Africa, I forget what Marvel calls it. And um, the thing and, and the torch go to break him out. And by then, I was already, you know, breaking out of my views of racism. And I noticed that you had the thing who in his rock state is kind of red brown and the torch, who is red, go break a a black man out of prison. Reed and Sue were not in that issue. So, you know, the whole thing was it was a subtle statement about about overcoming racism and apartheid, you know, which that story was based on. Um, Roll forward to 2009, late 2008. Um, Reggie Hudlin had been writing Black Panther 
and he heard me talk about my childhood and my, ex my exposure to the truths of, of racism and, and the issues of intolerance because of T'Challa's appearance in Fantastic Four. And he had a conversation with Axel Alonso and Marvel, the editor-in-chief, and said, hey, you know, uh, we, I know we've been talking about getting another black writer to follow me on the book, but T'Challa saved his life, too. T'Challa, you know, helped him, helped turn him around, too, and open his eyes. Why don't we get Mayberry to write the book? So I wound up being the writer on Black Panther for two years. And, uh, you know, it, and that started with Fantastic Four. But also, it's always been a good, a really good, solid science fiction comic. And, I, and science fiction comics are my favorite. Because I'm, I'm a science nerd, and I love, I love anything science. So science fiction comics are, are really exactly what I want, and that comic always delivered. That is so cool, and it's it's, it's always great to uh, draw upon those memories of, of reading those those types of comics for the first time as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, with Fantastic Four, because they were introducing so many new characters, and they weren't just like Villain of the Week characters, like Galactus is hardly Villain of the Week. Nah. Silver Surfer, same thing. Doctor Doom, once they stopped making him a ranting madman and made him a complex you know, person, became, you know closer to the real world. And, um, you know, I was, by that point I was starting to read newspapers and follow the Vietnam war and politics and the cold war. So what I was seeing were, were things that helped me understand the real world by having these, these, uh, storytelling models that, that gave me insight into motivations and so on. So I found them endlessly, um, uh, informative as well as entertaining. That's great. Um, and, uh, speaking of which, we'll to our, our last question in regards to comics, and that is if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? Now, again, are you asking a single issue or a whole run? Uh, it can be a whole run. It can be that a whole run. It's going to be Fantastic Four, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, been a long-running comic. A lot of people have put their, their, um, their print on it. You know, Jonathan Hickman and John uh, Byrne. And, um, I mean, there's been so many good runs in Fantastic Four. Yes, there have been some, some weak areas. Um, it got a little too family uh, kid drama for a while, but overall, it's been a great comic. So I would definitely take that into space with me because those stories can not only uh, be read and enjoyed, they can be reread and viewed differently based on how you as a person has changed. Yeah. Uh, I know that when I reread comics from my childhood, I'm reading them with the perspective of not only an adult, but you know, a comics industry professional and, um, you know, a, a best-selling author, which I, I, it allows me to peek into the kind of the carpentry of how, how those comics were constructed. And um, that, that's, that's absolutely fascinating. So, yeah, fantastic for the entire run. 100%. Including, including all the special issues. That, um, and I would probably put the, the two-in-one issues of the thing in there, too, because they were really fantastic for stuff. Just for good measure. Of course. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, now we come on to our final question, and that is along with your uh, your complete run of Fantastic Four, um, what weapon, tool, or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse with you as well? Well, um, considering that, that most things uh, don't hold up well to sword cuts, and I'm really good with a katana, uh, I would have my katana with me. Great. Uh, the, the Japanese martial arts I studied um, I've been doing jujitsu, you know, as I said, since I was six, I'm really good with, um, with swords. Uh, but I'm also, one of the things about jujitsu is it teaches you how to use almost anything as a weapon. Literally, you can pick up a, yeah. like a paper clip. It's deadly if you know how to, how to use it right. Um, so I, that skill set would allow me to, even in a, in a damaged world, anything I find among the debris is going to be a weapon for me. So I think I'm, I'm going to be pretty good at, at, at fighting aliens. Now, mind you, I'm, I'm less competent with a ray gun because I haven't fired one yet. But uh, <laughs> if I find one, I'll figure it out. I might have to take it off off a uh, an alien that I literally disarmed by cutting his arm off. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll fight back. A hundred percent. I'm sure you're you're a very resourceful um, man. So uh, you, I, I think they've got their uh, they're going to find it difficult. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 they, they, aliens would almost always underestimate humans. You know, they, they would think yeah. the military is tough, but civilians are not. But you know, there's a lot of a lot of tough civilians out there. A lot of common sense, practical people. I'm not. You know, I try to be a pretty practical person 
And um, also motivation, fighting for those I love would give me a lot of motivation to uh, kick some alien butt. That's for sure, 100%. Um, and uh, on that note, um, Jonathan Mavery, thank you so much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, this, is, this has been a whole bunch of fun. I, mean, I hope I come back someday. Oh, you, you'd be more than welcome. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, and uh, for the listeners, one more time, where can they find you online? If you look up jonathanmayberry.com, and it's M-A-B-E-R-R-Y, jonathanmayberry.com, uh, or just Jonathan Mayberry, you'll find me all over the net. But uh, start with my website, uh, because there's a lot of fun stuff there. Uh, if you're a writer especially, there's a whole page of free stuff for writers that includes one of my comic book scripts. Oh, amazing. I didn't realize that. So I'll definitely be downloading that. Um, and I'll, uh, I'll include that in the show notes as well. So people can kind of click straight through right there. And this has Great. been a bunch of fun, man. This is, this, you, ask, you, ask, you ask fun questions and thought provoking questions too. So this is, this has been a lot of fun. I hope so. Thank you so much, Jonathan. And as I said, thank you so much for your time. It's been, it's been a real pleasure and, uh, yeah, you'd be more than welcome to come back anytime. Oh, I, I appreciate it. And, and it's nice chatting live from the apocalypse <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally um fantastic okay jonathan well uh you take care um and uh, hopefully i'll see you at a comic con uh a, a real live comic con at some point in the near future yeah that'd be great maybe, maybe even one in the uk i've only been to one so far i was at the birmingham okay. uh, comic con um the mcm one yeah the, the first one they launched uh, a few years ago i was there with uh, uh ryan brown my cover artist for v wars and but I'm always looking to come back to the UK. It's uh, it's where my family roots are from, anyway. Oh, great! Yeah, I um, mean, yeah, if you if you do, yeah, I'll I'll definitely be uh, be looking to, to to head to your table. That's for sure. Sounds fun, man. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Jonathan, and uh, speak to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks again to Jonathan for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Jonathan's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene Magazine's website at comicscene.org for comic news and lots of other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Take care, stay safe, and bye for now.